0: Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Well, good morning. Some of you I haven't seen for a little while. So good to see you. That's great. Um, we're actually beginning a new uh, sermon series this morning. It's in the book of Galatians. This is a this is a big favorite of Martin Luther, I understand, and and uh, for a lot of people, this is just a real freeing uh, letter. And it's got six chapters. So I'm just going to start it off this morning and introduce to you um, the basic conflict that's been going on, that was going on in this church and what, that's covered in this book. And I think it's something, uh, a conflict that you and I have in our, our own hearts that we got to deal with all the time and maybe have dealt with a big time in the past. Um, The book starts out like this. It says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men uh, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Now, I'm going to try to make the point this morning that Galatia is a little bit like Ohio, okay, and see if I can do this. So, first of all, uh, Galatia was uh, a place that I understand was settled by Celts. Uh, sometime around the time of Malachi, let's say, about 400 B.C. And that part that's in uh, blue that you can see up there on the screen, um, that's where the, the Celts settle, all the way through, like, through Europe. And this part that the arrow points to was in, in Turkey, and that was like the easternmost settlement there. If any of you are Irish, uh, Celts went up to, uh, up to Ireland. And you probably heard, you know, the Celtics and stuff like this. That's Yeah, and, and Wales and places like that. So if if you're Irish, you may be, you know, distantly related to the Galatians. This was like a region then in what is today uh, modern Turkey. And um, Galatia was a place that was like famous for for one thing, and that was it had this really great highway. Uh, It was like a Roman imperial highway that everybody used when they were going across what they called Asia Minor or what is today uh, Turkey. And that's why I thought a little bit uh, that it was a little bit like Ohio, right? Because in my opinion, you know, a bit like this last year, like many years, we've been driving all over the place, going here and there to see grandkids and stuff. And I always have felt like the Ohio Turnpike is the best. I mean, it's got like three lanes most of the way, and when they do repairs on it, they don't jam you up like they do in Michigan where they go, let's just sit here for two hours and wait for somebody to do something, you know, that kind of stuff. And you can just fly through there. I love it, you know? And that's the way Galatia was. And when Paul came there originally, he was just planning to, to blow through there himself on his way to where he wanted to go, and he got sick. And it says in Galatians 4 that because he got sick, he had to hang out, and he shared the gospel with people, and some churches got planted in this region. Now, the other thing that makes it like Ohio is that uh, Galatia was part of the Roman Empire, and they were all Romanized, and, you know, the Roman Empire, the basic deal was they were into, like, entertainment and pleasure and making money. And they had kind of a civic religion that they paid lip service to by this time. And I think that's the way it is, you know, in Ohio. It's like where we live, right? I mean, people are into money, they're into entertainment, seeking pleasure. There's a little bit of a religion, you know, for a lot of people. It's like, well, show up maybe on Easter or something at Christmas, uh, pay lip service to it, but it's not really heartfelt. So these people were kind of empty spiritually in Galatia until Paul came along and shared the gospel with them. Um, And so when Paul greets them right here, he's got this cool little three-verse thing that I think of is sort of the gospel itself in a nutshell. I mean, you've probably heard, maybe have, uh, like I did. They go, well, John 3.16, that's like the gospel in a nutshell, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But when I think of these three verses, I think this is like the gospel. Uh, It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present age, according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It talks about the work of Jesus done on our behalf through his death and his resurrection that's given us these great gifts. This is the the good news. And it starts with you know and maybe I'll say this first here. Paul's greeting reveals the freedom which the gospel had brought the Galatian believers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, This is what you share with me and with Paul and with these Galatian believers. This is the the good news. This is the freedom that the gospel brings. And it starts with grace. This idea of grace is like undeserved kindness. I'll give you like a graphic example of this right here. So this is the great novelist, Fyodor Dostoevsky. I mean, he wrote uh, Crime and Punishment, The Brothers Karamazov. You know, I'll I'll tell you how great this guy is. Crime and Punishment is like 500, 600 pages long, right? I sign it as summer reading in my AP English classes, and the kids actually come back in the fall, and they go, that was good. I mean, if I can get that from a 50-page book, it's a miracle, but they're coming back with this big tome, and they go, this is good, okay? So when, uh, when this guy was about 28 years old, he had written a couple of crummy novels that never lasted or anything, and by this time, he's writing like these political works that got the attention of the czar, you know, the emperor, and so they put a warrant out for his arrest, and he was sentenced to death. Okay, so the day of his execution has come. Here he is, like, 28 years old, and he's like, they're lining up these guys to get executed, and they're doing three at a time in this firing squad, and they, you know, so what they do is they tie the first three guys to a post, to posts, put the hood over them, Dust, uh, Dostoevsky himself is the next guy in line waiting to, for his turn to get killed. And all of a sudden, these, like, horses ride up, and it's these soldiers, and they go, hey, we got news here. The emperor has granted clemency to everybody who's here. Whoa, that close, that's grace. He hadn't worked for a pardon. He hadn't done anything. He received a gift. That's grace. Grace is like you're doing 75 in a school zone and the, and the cop pulls you over and you go like you know what i'm sorry i was going 75 but I, i'm in a hurry and the cop goes i get it okay but don't do it again grace right you got undeserved kindness okay and then there's peace he says grace and peace to you from god our father i mean isn't this something that our culture yearns for i mean all of us yearn for this peace I was uh, reading, I read this book, I I told you about this earlier, about uh, the Band of Brothers, about this unit, uh, Easy Company, in World War II that was so effective against the Germans. And one of the guys in that unit was uh, Wayne Sisk. They called him Skinny Sisk. This guy took great delight in killing Germans, okay? And he was known uh, throughout his platoon as just being a guy that just had he had no use for them, right? And even after uh, the war was over and they were occupying Austria, he's up in the Alps, and so he, he, they're at this one house and they meet this 70-year-old man who is like a Nazi sympathizer, and he gets into an argument. Sis got in an argument with him, chased the guy out of his house and shot him in the back and killed him. And the other guys in his unit said, you know, when you get back from the war, you're going to have nightmares about this. You know, they kind of warned him about that. And sure enough... After he uh, was discharged, he had these terrible nightmares, and he just he just suffered just this terrible guilt for all of the excess things that he had done during the war, all the killing and stuff. And uh, he started drinking, and he just became a horrible drunk, and um, just intolerable to his family. And he just so this one day he was at his mother's house. It was a big family get together. They couldn't stand him. He couldn't stand them. He's hung over and he's in his mother's bedroom just sulking in there and his little four year old niece comes in and she says Uncle Wayne she says I love you and Jesus loves you and then this is the way he recounted the story. She said if you repent she he said uh, she said Jesus will forgive you for all those things that you did. And then he said to her, just go back to your mother. He said the girl left closed the door behind her, and then he said he immediately fell to his knees and just poured his heart out to Jesus and and begged Jesus to forgive him. And he said, when he wrote this to his platoon, it was two years later, he said, I've just been ordained. He said, I found that peace that could never be brought through through alcohol. It was a lasting peace. We just had, uh, last Wednesday at school, Uh, I had three of our seniors share their testimony at chapel and one of them talked about how he was just going through a terrible time in high school It's just so dark and everything and he said it was uh, about a year and a half ago he'd been suffering these terrible panic attacks just multiple ones per week and he said he was driving down the street to his house and um, the street usually had no traffic and this day it had it had all this traffic. It was just like, where is this coming from? And he had this panic attack coming on. He thought, I'm, I, can't even, I, I want to survive this trip. So he pulled into a parking lot, and he just sobbed and sobbed. And he said, up to this time, I'd been telling God, I want nothing to do with you because you've made my life so bad. he would blame it all on God. He'd cut off relationship with God. And he said, in the middle of his sobbing, he said, I've been wrong, God. I, have, I am sorry for what I've, what I've done. And he just poured his heart out and, and just surrendered his life, he said, to Jesus. And then he stopped crying, and he looked up, and he realized that he was in a church parking lot. And, all, and then he also realized there was no traffic on the road anymore at all. And he, he said from that day on, that was a year and a half ago, he has not had a single panic attack and he's been walking with the lord peace grace and peace and it says it comes from god our father and the lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age this present evil age the present evil age is this it's a world we live in it's a world that that uh, just it pulls us the wrong way and it promises stuff that it can never deliver it lets us down again and again, and again. And it just damages us in so many ways. And he says we've been rescued from this present evil age because of what Jesus has done. Uh, I don't know if you saw the story in the news this last week. This just happened in San Diego. But this, this picture of this woman who was killed here, she was walking down the street in San Diego, and this guy, about 29 years old, who was despondent apparently, he had gone up into the, onto the ninth floor of a uh, parking garage and intending to kill himself. And he jumped off that parking garage and he landed on her and killed her, as well as himself. And I don't know anything about this guy except for the fact that he lived in San Diego and he was 29 years old. But I thought about that and I thought, here was a guy that's in the prime of his life, Right? I mean, he's a young man. He's physically in his prime. And he's living in San Diego. And I've been to San Diego when my uh, son Adam graduated from the Marines. It's a beautiful city. It's got the best weather in the whole world. And they they say (coughs) people move to San Diego. (coughs) They have no (coughs) job. Excuse me. They have no job. But they go like, I love this place. It's so awesome and it's so great. And here's this guy that's got... And he's living in the middle of, like, an economy that for the last nine months has been growing, 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 growing as we come out of the pandemic, and it's it's just booming and stuff like this, and so the prospects have, you know, have been have been just awesome, and yet he's probably living this life that so many people live of quiet desperation, and in his heart he's going, like, I got nothing to live for, and everything that I've tried so far, all the ways that I've gone, all these avenues that I've looked at, they've They've disappointed me. They've let me down. And I don't even think life is worth living anymore. That's this present age. And maybe you felt that. And maybe, though, it wasn't you, the, the guy that you relate to here, but the, the woman in the story who's collateral damage. Because that's what happens. Because of the hurt that's in our hearts and all the, ter- you know, the, the disappointments and the double-crossing the world does to us, It causes us to do things and then other people get damaged as a result. And maybe you've been a a person who's suffered that collateral damage from the things that have been happening to people who are around you. Maybe you've caused it yourself. You know, I, I think I can understand both ends of that whole thing right there. But we've been rescued from that. That's what the gospel says. The Galatians had experienced that true freedom that comes from a new relationship with God. You know, it talks about that in Hebrews chapter 8. And here's where that that conflict is going to be set up. So it says, Jesus is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God. This is the new covenant that Paul had come into based on better promises. The day is coming, says the Lord. This is what he promised back in in the Old Testament. When I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant won't be, be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They didn't, want, they didn't remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. He goes, it's not going to be like that old covenant where there was sacrifices for sin on daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. It isn't going to be like all those religious rituals that they had to go through back at that time and commandments that were written on the exterior on tablets of stone because they weren't, weren't faithful to that. But this is the new covenant I'll make with the people of Israel In that day, says the oh Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. It's like this new relationship with God also brings us freedom and it's the freedom to do what's right. The freedom to do what's right. Now, it may sound like a weird idea, but let me explain it like this. So. These are uh, two of my grandkids. They're both about two and a half years old. They were born in different cities, uh, pretty close to each other. And the one on the left is is Noah. Uh, She's the daughter of my um, youngest daughter, Rachel. And Noah has been potty trained. So she's out of the diapers and she's wearing undies. You know, this is pretty special stuff, right? So two weeks ago, they're flying back from North Carolina to Flagstaff, where they live. And to get there, you've got you to land in Dallas-Fort Worth first, and then you get the plane to Flagstaff, right? And the pilot gets on the, uh, the microphone, he goes, we are now beginning our descent to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And as they're on their descent down there, Noah goes, i got to poop! <laughs> and uh, Rachel goes, Noah, you can't. We're on our descent. We can't get up and go into the bathroom right there. And uh, they got down to the airport and they get off the plane and and, uh, Rachel said, did you hold it? And Noah said, yeah. They get to a bathroom. Rachel said, well, here's a bathroom. And Noah goes, I don't have to go. Now that's a two-year-old, right? But here's the deal. If you're a two-year-old, many times, and many of us live like two-year-olds, you're prisoners of your own desires, right? You want to cry, you cry. If you want to, you know, hit somebody, you hit somebody, you know, if you're, if you are got to poop, you just do it, right? And many times we kind of feel like, well, freedom is when if I want to do something, I'm just going to do it. I'm free to do that. Nobody can stop me. So I'm just going to go, you know, but you know what? That's not real freedom, is it? Because in our, in her heart of hearts and in our hearts of hearts, we don't want to poop in our pants, Right? Because we don't feel good about that later. And, you know, even little two-year-olds, they go like, they would feel like they had been disappointing, you know? And they would be, you know, you want to be able to just say, I want to do the right thing. I'm going to wait to go. Now, it's a small thing, but that's what it means to have the law written on your heart because it's like God is changing us from the inside out. It isn't like imposed on you. We kind of want to do it now, you know? And there's a freedom then to do the right thing and then to feel, ah, did the right thing here on the right is uh vivian down in st louis and uh she's get if you look at her she's holding the stuffed animal she's also holding a little whisk broom right and a couple weeks ago before they'd go off to daycare she would go mommy I, i gotta sweep these nasty steps before we go nobody had told her to do that Nobody had put this thing in her hands. She just decided that she was going to... Now, I hope she holds on to that attitude for the rest of her life, right? But it's kind of like as in the gospel, God frees us up now by writing this thing on our hearts and in our minds to want to do the right thing. We just go like, yeah, nobody's making me do this, but I got the freedom to do these things I always wanted to do, but I was too weak to do before because I just couldn't get it done myself. And then he says, and I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll never again remember their sins. Isn't that cool? I mean, haven't you ever had this happen to you where you you hurt somebody and then you went to them and you said, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And they said, yeah. And then, but five years later, you did something similar and they go, that's just like what you did, right? It says here, I will never again remember their sins. He's going, I'm wiping it clean. And I'm not going to bring it up again. It's just like out of my memory. God is able to remember, but he's also able to forget. And it says when, and this is like freedom from guilt once and for all. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. That's what the Galatians had had discovered discovered because of what Paul had shared with them in the gospel. They had received this freedom from the empty lives that they had had before. Now, at this point, Paul expresses this frustration, and this is what makes Galatians unique. Every other letter Paul wrote, he would just greet the people, and then he would go like, you guys are cool because you've done this, or I thank God for that. Here, he just is frustrated with them, and he says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What was happening here? They were being lured into the obsolete religious system because some of the, old, the Jewish believers came to them And they go, you know what? We got this cool thing of sacrifices, etc., from the Old Testament, and you got to do those things. And they're being lured into this thing they had never even heard of before. And Paul says, But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He's angry, Right? He's throwing down curses here. He goes, this is terrible. This is horrible. How can you do this? Okay, so this fake gospel that he's talking about was the old system which Paul himself had come out of. And let me just briefly summarize this right here, again from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So they did these sacrifices again and again, but they didn't seem to really work in the people's minds and hearts. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. I tell you what, I can totally relate to this. I totally relate. When I grew up, uh, when I was uh, in grade school and in high school, went to a Lutheran church, and the pastor dressed like this. Maybe you have some frame of reference for this yourself. But he wore like a, this robe, and he had um, authority, I think, as a result of that. You know, you kind of got used to, it. wow. And the guy would get up every uh, couple of weeks at um, communion time, and he would, he would say this I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to you, right? Some of you are nodding your heads. And he goes, And in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. And I'm going like, cool. You know, I'm hearing this, and I'm going like, I'm gold. And now here's the way I process this. This guy was announcing the gospel, but I immediately converted it to the old system. So I go like, okay, if I die now, I will go to heaven. I'm good, right? But then Sunday night came, and then Monday. So I'm sinning, and I'm going, whoa. gotta wait two weeks to get forgiven, right? Plus, you know, Mike Trevisano says all Americans are scammers, right? And I kind of believe that because it's like I started making my own little scam religion out of it. I thought, God's forgiven me my sins. Now I can live my life the way I want and I can live the Jim Fenske selfish life and I can get some forgiveness every couple weeks from this guy. You know, so I was feeling this combination of, like, guilt and total, like, selfish piggishness through this whole thing. That's what happened in the Old Testament all the time. The people played God. So they do their sacrifices and then live totally contrary to to what he wanted. And they just ended up with a lot of guilt and a lot of just, like, uh, you know, estrangement from God. And then what happens, in addition, is it kind of leads to self-justification. So you, you keep trying to, like, convince yourself that you're, that you're better than you are. So, like, here's a great example of this. This happened in January in Bellevue, Washington. So this, this young mother, uh, she's at home, and they run out of milk. So she goes, i got to get to the store and grab some milk. So she straps her 4-year-old in the car seat, jumps in a car, Drives to the grocery store, parks right... This is the picture of the actual store. She parks right by the front door there, leaves the car running, and the kid in the car dashes in to get the milk. She's never more than 15 feet away from the car. At that moment, a guy comes along, and a carjacker jumps in the car and drives away. The guy drives about two blocks, and he realizes there's a kid in the car seat in the back of the car. So he makes a U-turn, comes back to the store. Here's the mother out there going, where's my car? Where's my kid? And um, he goes, lady, is this your kid? And she goes like, yeah, yeah. He goes, get this kid out of the car. She gets the kid out of the car, and then he proceeds to yell at her. And he goes, I can't believe you left that kid in the car and went in the store. How dare you? You're, you're no better than a criminal. And then he jumps back in the car and drives it away. Now, is this not a picture of the way our society works. I mean, here we are, and we're doing our selfish thing, but we're checking out everybody else to see what they're doing wrong and pointing fingers at them. I mean, this is this whole thing where we're checking through everybody's old tweets to see if it's possible they did a racist thing or said something, oh, you're a dirty racist, right? Or we're going, like, you're a hater, or you're like, you know, you're a polluter, or you're irresponsible in this pandemic, or whatever we can do, because we're justifying ourselves and making ourselves feel a whole lot better because hate has no home here, right? And this is a way we're living our lives all the time. And this, is, and, and this is like a big trap that people get into because it can never work. It just causes more and more and more frustration in our lives because we can never make ourselves good enough. Why was Paul so angry? Let me give you a real hypothetical analogy right here. So I want you to imagine uh, this terrible super pandemic that, that would be the next one. It would be kind of like that Spanish flu, if you ever read about that, where it just struck the healthiest people, killed a bunch of kids, blood pouring out of their noses and stuff. It was horrific. In Philadelphia, they, there were so many people dying from this. They said, just leave the bodies out on the curb. We'll pick them up in the morning. I mean, that's horrible. Imagine... You, like the Galatians, are stuck in the middle of this present evil age and you've got no hope. And then what comes along is the gospel. And it's 100% effective rescue and no side effects whatsoever. This is what Paul had brought them. And what happens is you feel this grace and peace. Everything's been lifted. You're free. You're going great. But then what happens? Some guys come along and they go like, you know, we are not completely safe. We've got to do some things. Everybody must wear a gas mask <laughs> at all times. Otherwise, we're gonna, we haven't done enough. You've got to start producing like this. And you end up buying into this. And then what happens? While everybody there in the background is going to the beach and having a good time, you're wearing your gas mask into the water. And Paul is going, You are carrying heavy burdens that you don't need to carry. This is self defeating. You are destroying the good thing that God has done. This is the conflict that's going on. And I want to tell you that I think that the Galatians conflict was Paul's conflict because he had gone through this very same th- thing, and it's our conflict too. Because, you know, it's like uh, Doug has said the human heart is an idol factory. I want to say it is, but the human heart is a religion factory too because we keep wanting to go back from that, the new thing that God is doing, the freedom, and we want to start playing the games of religion again and somehow make it happen for ourselves and work that uh, to our advantage. And it's, it's a dead end. And that's the uh, conflict that's being introduced in chapter 1 that Paul is going to work his way through in this book you know uh, Paul's own story that he finishes the chapter with shows how he had to reexamine everything he'd ever believed in the light of the gospel and I'll just really briefly take you through that here he said first of all he goes like hey you know what I discovered that God had to personally reveal himself to me I wasn't looking for him if you know Paul's story God had to actually knock him to the ground flash a bright light caused him temporary blindness for like three days to get paul's attention and finally paul said i didn't verse 12 i didn't receive it from any man nor was i taught it i received it by revelation from jesus christ he said my eyes had to be open i wasn't i wasn't seeking god he said i had persecuted the church of god i hated this new system it didn't make any sense to me he said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions. He said, I just had so bought into these things, that, this religious system that I had. But he said in verse 15, When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. You know, do you ever think of that? That God had his eye on you and he had his eye on me before we were even born. He had us in his mind and he went to great lengths to get us. In some cases, he just it went to the length of just making sure we grew up in a household where we heard the gospel day after day and we believed it from time before we can even remember. But maybe it took a, a, a hit over the head or a flashing light or it took some terrible event to finally get us to where God, where God could get a, get a hold of us and break through this cloud that we were living in. And then Paul says something interesting. He said, was pleased to reveal the Son in me so I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. And you know what Paul did after he got this revelation? He spent a long time by himself just examining everything and re-examining everything that he had ever been taught. He apparently reread the whole Bible that he had, and now he saw it in a new light. He saw it in the light of Jesus Christ. And then he said, after three years, he went up to Jerusalem. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea who are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. And knowing Jesus changed everything in his life. And I would say this morning, having you know, read and prayed through this chapter, and you having heard this chapter and considering what it says. I think there's two things that I'm, I'm going to do myself, and I, I would hope that you would do these things too. And the first thing that I want to do is I want to thank God for the freedom that he's given me through the gospel. You know, isn't that something that you and I should be doing all the time? I mean, what a fantastic thing that God has done. We weren't looking for it. We didn't make it happen. But he had, his grace and his mercy extended to us that we can have this peace and this freedom through the gospel. And then I want to continue to re-examine everything in my life in the light of what Jesus has done for me. I want to re-examine everything that I believe, everything that all the expectations that I've had and the expectations that have been placed upon me, the traditions and the customs and the things that I've been told by the culture around me, uh, my very lifestyle and all the attitudes that I've got. And in the light of what Jesus has done for me, I want to look at those things in a fresh and a new way and say, Lord, what is it that you're trying to show me? So let's pray. Father, as uh, we come to you this morning, we first of all want to thank you so much for what you've done. This was something that we we could never have even conceived of in our, in our wildest imaginations Uh, how good you have been to us. And I want to thank you for your grace, for the peace that's come to us, for the way that you have rescued us from this uh, present evil age. Lord, I want to just bless you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Lord, I I also pray that you would shine the searchlight of your Holy Spirit on our hearts so that we can just see everything in that new light that you have... uh, that you have opened our eyes with. And I would pray, Lord, that you would uh, root out all those areas where we're trying to like have our own way and make it happen on our own and, and just scam you or just try to figure out some way that we can find peace or reassurance apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you so much that you got the better way and that you have opened our eyes to it. In Jesus' name, amen thanks for listening for more information about community of hope go to www.cohchurch.com god bless you today